Our reading today from the Old Testament is from Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands... They will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. And when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. And honor him with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, good evening. My name is Andrew Russell, assistant pastor here. I feel like I should just sit down. That psalm just preached itself, amen? (laughs) So my prayer is that God would speak tonight and that we would have ears to hear. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus, and we ask uh, that you, Father, would speak to the hearts of your people tonight, that you would speak a message of love, of deliverance that would bring new life. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight is the last sermon of this series, Psalms for Every Season. And throughout uh, the summer, we've been looking through the various psalms. Uh, We talked about uh, depression and how God is a storyteller, how he's he's the creator of all things, his holiness. And now we're going to talk about God being a refuge. And I entitled this sermon, The Psalm That the Devil Quoted, because it's true. The devil did quote Psalm 91 to Jesus. In fact, he quoted two verses in Psalm 91. And did you, do you realize that the devil can quote scripture? Yes, the devil knows scripture. The devil reads scripture. The devil interprets scripture. He is not reading it for his own quiet time or to apply it to his life. John 8, describes the character of Satan. He, the Bible says he was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar 
and the father of lies. The devil uses scripture to to distort the truth. He uses scripture to spread lies about God and to lead us all to death. And one day he used the scripture to tempt Jesus Christ, who is the word of God made flesh. And he tempted Jesus to put God's promises to the test. Psalm 91 is the psalm that the devil quoted to Jesus. And in Matthew 4, uh, verse 5 through 7, we get the picture of uh, Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness. And it says, then the devil, and I'm reading from Matthew, then the devil took him, Jesus, to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, and then he says, for it is written, that he quotes Psalm 91. He says to Jesus, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to Satan, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, I remember one day, One of my kids came up to me, and I'm not going to say their name because I want to protect the guilty. (laughs) This one of my one of my children said, Andrew, go get me some water. (laughs) You know, at that at that moment, I thought to myself, they must be talking about President Andrew Jackson. (laughs) They must be talking about. Uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, the composer of Phantom of the Opera, they must be talking about bizarre food chef Andrew Zimmerman. Because I know she... I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry, Naomi, I love you. (laughs) They weren't talking to me. And and I said to to my child, I said, first of all, My name is Daddy and not Andrew. And secondly, not only are you going to get your own water, but you're going to get me a cup of water too. Don't test me. I believe this is the same force by which Jesus told Satan, don't put God to the test. So, but what what did Satan do wrong? Uh, Well, he doubted that Jesus was the son of God. He wanted Jesus to prove himself when Jesus does not even need to prove himself because even before in the text, when Jesus was baptized, God the, heavenly, God, the, God the Father, the Bible says, the heavens opened up and a dove went on Jesus and it was the Holy Spirit as a, as a reminder that, that that's the Holy Spirit. And then the voice in heaven says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus didn't need to prove himself. He knew that the Father was already pleased with him. But we do this all the time, don't we? We might say, God, I, I, I don't really believe you are who you say you are. Work a miracle and prove yourself to me. God, if you are real, keep every and all suffering away from me. And when we look at Psalm 91, we will be tempted to put God to the test because his promises seem so outlandish, so unbelievable, so miraculous. 
And who doesn't want to see God show forth his powers? But let's be careful that we're not worshiping our idea of God versus the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible does not need to prove himself. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It didn't give us an exposition on God's origins like a lot of superhero movies. It didn't, you know, debate, you know, is God there or is he isn't? But the scripture says it, it is God who created and the rest of scripture explains who this God is. All that we know of God is revealed to us. And in Psalm 91, God reveals himself as a refuge, a safe place in the time of trouble. Psalm 91 does not promise that trouble will not come, but it does promise God's abiding presence in the midst of trouble, in the midst of the most difficult seasons. You know what's interesting? The psalmist would never know God as a well-defended fortress unless the psalmist was under attack. You see, we would never know God, we would never know that we needed a shelter unless it was raining. And so the main question of today is this, why should the God of the Bible be your refuge? And I ask that question because all of us, we have refuges, we have fortresses, we have places of refuge that we hide in times of trouble, Christians and non-Christians alike. And so this, this, this question applies to if you are a skeptic or if you believe in Jesus Christ. Now, the picture of God being a refuge is throughout Scripture. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. In Proverbs 18 and 10, it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. And finally, Isaiah 25.4 says, for you have been a stronghold to the poor a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. Brothers and sisters, we all want refuge from our enemies. We all want to feel safe and secure, uh, free from worry and anxiety. We all have refuges and fortresses and shelters. We all have gods that give us safety and security in the time of trouble. But if God is your refuge, then that means that you must abandon, you must, you must abandon building your own refuge. If I, if I ask you to move into my house when you have a house, that means that you must leave your house to come to my house. So the one who has made God their fortress has left their own fortresses. Uh, So the question today is what what are the fortresses that we built? What are some of the refuges? Now, I'm going to list some, and, and keep in mind, this is not an exhaustive list. And a lot of these things are good in and of themselves. So I don't want you to feel guilty when I say this, but my point is when we make these things our refuge, when we make these things more than any other thing, the place where we run to for our security, then there is a danger there. So the first refuge or fortress that we may build could be your reputation. Uh, you don't drink like your coworkers or friends. You don't sleep around like other people do. You don't struggle with addiction or drugs, sex, and alcohol. 
You are even better, a better moral person than most people at church. And you're involved in in social justice issues when others would rather not participate. So your reputation can be a refuge. It can be a place where you run to when you're in trouble. Another refuge could be your expertise. You are the one that people come to for specialized knowledge. You are a trusted source for universities and journalists and governmental agencies. You are well respected in your field. Another refuge could be comfort. You, you, you schedule your life weekly and monthly. You're prepared for any and all emergencies. You have a retirement plan and your will is made out. Your investments are secure and you have amazing health benefits. Or another refuge could be your own reason and rationality. You don't need the supernatural. You can figure out complex issues on your own. You base everything on proven empirical evidence, and you're smarter than most people around you. So whatever your fortress is, God is calling you to make him your dwelling place. It is, it is not wrong to have a good reputation. It's not wrong to be an expert or to have comforts or to think rationally. But when you make these things and more your fortresses, it is very hard to trust God. Especially when there's danger, when, when there's temptations, when there's trials all around you. Trusting God to be your fortress means leaving your well-guarded fortresses behind to a fortress that appears to be without any visible weaponry. Uh, there's no alarm system or video surveillance. Raise your hand if, if, if you got some video surveillance. Amen. You know, we, we got an we got a epidemic of package theft in D.C., and so, yeah, we need video de- surveillance. But I digress. Um, trusting God to be your fortress means that you trust him to protect you even when you can protect yourself. Trusting God means trusting his promises. And as we read the promises of God, when we make him our refuge, we will, we will be tempted to want the blessings rather than the blessing giver. We will be tempted to doubt God's promises when trouble comes our way. We will be tempted to want a miracle before we can surrender to the miracle worker. Promises and fulfillment of those promises don't happen in the same day. We must wait on God to fulfill his promises. If you like that quote, that comes from Glenn, by the way, of the Puritans. Glenn, it's good to have you back, so appreciate that quote. And, I, and I, when I read that, I thought, that is so true. A lot of times we think, God, I, when you make a promise, that means you make a fulfillment at the same time. You can't sow and reap at the same time. So when God makes a promises, a lot of times we must wait and, and, and seek his fulfillment until he reveals the fulfillment of those promises. So let's look at the promises. If you have your Bible or your bulletin, we're going to look through all of the promises that God gives us in Psalm 91. In verse 3, it says, He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. A fowler is a bird and a snare is a, is a hidden trap for the bird. And so God promises to deliver you from unseen and invisible dangers. In verse 4, he says he will cover you with his wings 
And under his wings, you will find refuge. The, the word is pinions. I think they, they said in the ASV, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings, you will find refuge. This, this, um, this picture of God being a bird is actually all throughout scriptures in Deuteronomy chapter 32 when uh, God talks about the nation of Israel and he says that uh, I am an eagle and, I, and I'm the eagle who protects my people. And Jesus and Matthew says, oh I, uh, I, oh, I wish to gather up uh, my people like a, a hen would her chicks. And so this, this idea of God being a mother bird is actually throughout scripture. And God, like a mother bird, means that he's close, that he's, that he's going to protect you, that, that he takes the bullets for you. In verse 4, let's look at it. It says, he will cover you with his pinions. In the second part, his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. So he won't leave you. When things get ugly in your life, he will be faithful to you. He will not allow your enemies to put more on you than you can bear. The way that he has protected you in the past is the way he will protect you in the future because he's faithful. He has a history of delivering his people, and he's faithful. Verse 5 says, you will not fear the terror. I mean, check this out. I, uh, it says, you will not fear the terror of night, so nighttime, the arrows that fly by the day in the daytime, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that lies wasted noonday. So you got noonday destruction, nighttime terrors, daytime arrows, and pestilence in the darkness. That's, that's a lot. That's 24 hours a day. And so when, when God says that you will not fear these things, it, he's saying that he's working throughout the day to protect you. He is not surprised when sickness and destruction ambushes you in the dark. You know, when it says the pestilence lurks in the darkness. I don't know if you've watched National Geographic, but I remember I was watching uh, this, you know, Disney, how they have the nature films, and I was watching them this with my kids, and I had to close their eyes for a couple of this, because, I mean, it was pretty gruesome. But they had a pack of lions. And what's interesting with lions, uh, lions, they, they hunt their prey in packs. And what usually happens, you have several lions that are just hiding under the bushes, and then one lion will be the, the one that, that runs after the prey. And so the prey sees the one lion and, and, the prey, and the prey runs. And little does the prey know that there are about seven to ten lions that are lurking in the bushes. And God is not afraid. Not only that, but he promises to give you confidence when terror strikes at night. He says, you will not fear. So he takes away your fears. And in verse 7, let's look at it. It says, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. So he promises that he'll keep evil at a distance. How many of you know the story of Job in the Bible? There's a, all right. So Job was a, a godly man. He was a man, the Bible said, who feared the Lord. In fact, Job woke up. At 5 a.m. in the morning, it didn't say 5 a.m., but it said he woke up early in the morning to pray for his children. He was faithful. He was a man who was a, a, a godly man, a man that everyone respected. And we hear this story in Job chapter 1 of how Satan, he goes up to heaven and he has a conversation with God. 
he says, uh, so he comes before God and God says, Satan, where, where have you come from? And Satan says, you know, I've been roaming to and fro, walking up and down the earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? Now, can you imagine if a serial killer is looking for his next victim and I give you and I give him your name? Can you imagine that? You, you would be like, man, Andrew, go get me some water. And, 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 and once you get the water, tell that serial killer to go to 1786 McLean Drive. And I'm like, that's my house. And you're like, exactly. So God, uh, he, he says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, no, because you, you put a hedge of protection around him. I can't touch him. I can't touch his, fam- I can't touch his family, his possessions, his children. And God says, and then Satan says, but Lord, if, God, if you stretch your hand and touch all that he has, he will curse you to your face. And God told Satan, okay, he's in your hands, but you can't touch him. You can take everything away from him, but you can't kill him. You can't take his soul. So when Satan took everything away from Job, his house, his wife, his children, his possessions, Job responded in saying, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, Job could only say that because he knew that God was his refuge in the time of trouble. God was an abiding presence with him. You know, if God is faithful, God, God was faithful when Job was, a, a, was going, you know, faithful with the sacrifices, going to the synagogue, praying for his children. And he knew that same God to be faithful even in the midst of trouble. Let's look at some more promises in verse 11 and 12. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is the, psalm, uh, the verse that the devil quoted here. It says, for he will command his angels concerning you. So God is saying that I'm going to have angels guard you. That's a promise. In verse 13, he says that I will give you power and confidence to conquer your fears. Let's look at it. In verse 13, he says, you will tread on the lion and the adder, which is a serpent, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. So God gives you power and confidence to conquer the very things that seem to master you. God says you will tread and trample when it sometimes it seems like you can't, but God says you will. When it looks like your fears and your sin patterns have gotten the best of you, God does not give up on you. He does not define you by what you can't do, but he defines you based on what he can do. He says you will because God is faithful. God has overcome. God has tread and trampled. And he has made a way for us in Jesus Christ to overcome sin. So I know it seems like right now that you can't. I know it seems that right now that you won't. But God says that if you make him your refuge, if you uh, make him your stronghold, if you make God your shelter, you will have power to master the things that currently master you. God is confident. He's not afraid. And he looks at us and he says, you will. And God breaks the silence in verses 14 through 16. Let's look at it. God actually speaks. And God says in verse 14, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver me. God says, hold fast to me. 
I know it seems like the, the very foundations underneath you are crumbling, but hold fast to me because I am a mighty fortress. I'm a firm foundation. We all sang the song of Martin Luther, Mighty Fortress is Our God. It says, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. This is the confidence we have when we hold fast to God as a refuge. Uh, In verse 14, God promises to protect the psalmist because he knows his name. I love that. I love that verse. He knows his name. Do you know God's name? Do you know God personally? Uh, If you're ever going to get to know a person, then you must know their name. Their name is the sweetest sound that they know. You know, I'm not good at names, but when I remember someone's name, they're like, wow. And then I say it again, and they're like, man, keep on saying it. You love to hear your name. And and in verse 1 and 2, we see God in the Hebrew, there's actually four names. And, uh, but I, I want to talk about names for a second before I get into verse 1 and 2. And I'm going to say something that you probably don't know. I'm going to reveal something tonight. All right? So if you're sleeping, it's time to get up. It's the big reveal time. Do you know that I have seven names? Do you know that? Okay. Yes, it's true. A lot of you know me as Andrew. But I'm also known as Drew. Frog, Pablo, DJ Russ, Daddy, and Babe. I'll explain. I'll explain. So the first one, Drew. So I'm I'm Andrew. You know, a lot of Andrews uh, go by either Andy or Drew. And no offense to the Andes, I'm just a Drew. You know, I know some Andes in here. You know, you might, y'all, you know, we're, we're the same, same. But I'm just a Drew. So my family calls me Drew. All right. My second uh, name is Frog. So when I was a kid, my dad called me Frog because I had a small upper body with long uh, arms and legs. So, so he called me Frog. So even to this day, he's like, Frog, how you doing? And then Pablo. So when I was in college, I acted in this play when I was in, uh, yeah, when I was in college. And Pablo, he was this uh, character that I created. He was smooth and, you know, he, was, he talked well to the ladies. And so... Uh, Pablo was my name. So all the kids in the youth group, they would call me Pablo. They didn't even know my real name. They were like, Pablo, how you doing? Pablo, Pablo. And then DJ Russ. So I was a DJ in college. I DJ parties. Um, I, it wasn't crazy and, you know, it was clean. Um, and I, you know, when I, I was thinking about a DJ name and I was like, my first DJ name was actually DJ Black Alicious, but there was already, I know it sounds scandalous, but there was already a hip-hop group by that name. So I was like, man, I got to come up with something original. So I, come, so I named myself DJ Russ. So friends who know me in college, they will know me as DJ Russ. Then I'm also known as Daddy. I have four beautiful kids, so they call me Daddy. And then my last name is Babe. Uh, so every time I'd leave work, I would, you know, I'd tell my wife, goodbye, babe, you know. And my kids, they would overhear me. And then uh, one time I left work and they were like, bye, babe. <laughs> so every time I leave, you know, go catch the bus or walk to, to the office, 
Everybody's like, bye, babe, bye, babe. Now, if you get to know me, you know, you know those names. Now, if you know me personally, you can't call me daddy because I, I only got four kids. So I, that, would, that would be a little awkward. So, but if we know, if you know someone, you get to know their names. And in Psalm uh, chapter 91, verse 1 and 2, we get a picture of God's name. And I'm going to go through it real quickly here. And this is in the Hebrew. So it says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. So that word Most High is Elyon. It's a name that God goes by, and it speaks to God being far above all gods. Uh, The second name that God uh, reveals in Psalm verse 1, he says, in the shadow of the Almighty, that, that name in Hebrew is Shaddai. And this is the first name that God used to describe himself when he revealed himself to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. And I'll read it quickly. It says, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless that I might make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So Shaddai is, 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 speaks of God being almighty, the, the God who revealed himself to Abraham. The, the third name that we see here, he says uh, in verse 2, I will, say to my, I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God. That, that word in Hebrew is Elohim. It means the God of creation and nature. And it expresses God's transcendence over nature. And the fourth name, the one that I really want to focus on, uh, I, I skipped it. It says, I will say to the Lord, that name in Hebrew is Yahweh. This is the proper name of the God of Israel. This is the name that God revealed to Moses when he was in the burning bush. The, 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 in, 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 the, in theological circles, they call it the tetragrammaton. It's the four-letter name, Y-H-W-H. It means I will be who I will be the unchanging one, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant-keeping God of the fathers of Israel. And the Jews didn't say this name because of the fourth commandment in Exodus 20 and verse 7. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. According to Herman Bavink, who's a Dutch Reformed theologian, he says, because of the Jewish dread of pronouncing this name, Yahweh, the original and correct pronunciation has been lost. Uh, the church fathers called it forbidden, the indescribable, the unutterable name. Probably not because they themselves held it to be permissible, impermissible to say that name, but because the Jews were of that opinion and because of the proper pronunciation of it, in fact, been lost. And so the Jews did not even, uh, the scribes, when they would write uh, the, the, the Lord, they wouldn't even write it. it. It was a holy name. They would wash, they would wash themselves before they would even write the name. And they couldn't even speak it. But do you know God personally? Do you know his name? Now, when we make God our, our refuge and, uh, and stronghold and fortress, we come into a, a personal relationship with him. There was one name that the psalmist didn't know. There's a name that is above every name, that, that the name of Jesus. The Bible says every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And he satisfies us with eternal life. Let's look at the last verse. It says, with long life 
I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I believe this is a, a, a foreshadowing, a, a, a prophecy of, of the Messiah to come who would give eternal life, who would be the visible representation of God's salvation. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promises. The Bible says that in Christ, all the promises are yes and amen. Uh, So because of Jesus, we can abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, We can uh, abide underneath and make Yahweh our refuge. And remember when I talk about this idea of the mother bird in verse 4, that God shelters us with his wings like a mother bird. Jesus is the mother bird. Jesus was the mother bird who was bruised for your iniquities. He took our punishment. He he went to the deepest, darkest places where the pestilence, the terror, the arrows, the destruction, the lions, the cobra, and the evil existed. And he faced them all for us so that when we face trouble, when uh, when we face trouble, we know that we have a battle-tested Savior who knows how to save us. He dies for us so that we can be resurrected from the dead and walk in confidence and call Yahweh Daddy. I mean, it's amazing. The scribes and the Pharisees, the Jews could not imagine Yahweh being called Abba Father. And because of Jesus, the Bible says we have confidence to run into the throne room and call uh, the Shaddai, the Almighty, Elohim, the God over all creation, Daddy. So the question stands, why should you make the God of the Bible your refuge? You can make the, the, the reason why you should make the God of the Bible your refuge is this. Because Jesus Christ, he has went, he has went through uh, the, the terror by night, the pestilence and the darkness. He, 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 he hid you in his wings and he took your punishment for you. He draws you close. And it's amazing that, that remember the verse we read in the beginning, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. The fact that God can bring you underneath his wings means that you are actually worth protecting. You have value. There is, you have you've been created in God's image and you are worth the God of heaven, the Elohim, the Elion, the Yahweh, to bring underneath his wings and call you a child because of Jesus Christ. And so that's the confidence we have. Will you trust God tonight? Will you make God your refuge? Because there is no other refuge like God. There's no other refuge like Yahweh. There is no other refuge like our Father. When your reputation is is besmirched, when your expertise are no longer current, when your comforts are are, are gone, when, when your rationality doesn't seem to make sense, the Bible says that God is a refuge because he's faithful. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, O God, for being our refuge in the time of trouble. And we ask, O God, that you would hide us underneath your wings so that we can get to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.